and also the book of Matthew. The book of Jonah and the book of Matthew. It, it's kind of an art form, you know, that pastors have of kind of drawing out that time when everybody's turning in their Bibles, you know. Turn to the book of you know, Jonah and Matthew. There's a slight pause. The book of Jonah and, and also Matthew, you know. Is everybody there? Is the awkward moment over? Jonah chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 12. So over the past couple of weeks, uh, as we've been looking at Jonah, I've mentioned several times that Jesus Himself mentions Jonah. And we're just going to quickly take a look at that passage and see some application there for us. So Matthew chapter 12, start at verse 38. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. So these Jews are asking for a sign. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now the messages in the first seven chapters of Acts center on the resurrection of Christ, not on His death on the cross. And the Jews of that day believed that Jesus had died. They didn't have a, you know, any problem believing that. And we know that because it was a chief topic of conversation in Luke chapter 24. But they did not believe that after his death that he was alive. And you can see that in Matthew 28. But in Acts chapters 2 through 7, the Holy Spirit gave to the nation of Israel abundant witness that Jesus was alive. And this was the only sign that, that they needed. So, also, we see some similarities between the life and ministry of Jesus and Jonah. Uh, the only sign that Jesus would give to his nation was his death, burial, and resurrection. And Jonah was a sign to the people of Nineveh because he had experienced, in the, in the great fish, death, as he saw it, burial, and resurrection, as God raised him up from that fish uh, to complete the task that he had for him. But we never want to get confused about our comparisons with Jonah and Jesus uh, as there was really no comparison as all, at all as we would see. Jesus said himself, indeed a greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus is greater than Jonah in just so many, so many ways. Uh, Jesus is greater in his person. We know he was 100% God and 100% man. Uh, Jonah was just a mere man. Uh, Jesus was greater in his obedience. He never disobeyed. He never sinned. And as we've seen, uh, Jonah had a little bit of an issue with that, right? Uh, Jesus actually died on the cross, but Jonah's grave, or his death, if you will, was being in the belly of the fish. Uh, there are those out there that believe Jonah actually died in the fish and God resurrected him. I personally think that's a stretch. Uh, why? Uh, 
uh, because in chapter 2 he prayed from the belly of the fish. just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, you know, to me. Um, I don't think there's any scriptural evidence whatsoever to say that Jonah died in the fish. Um, so if they want to believe that, that's fine, but I don't. So, And they're not teaching tonight, so, <laughs> so that's what you have, right? <laughs> Jesus gave his life for the whole world, uh, where Jonah only ministered to one city. And we know Jesus was greater in his love, for he loved everyone. Jonah didn't even love the people of Nineveh. We'll get into that some tonight as well. Uh, Jesus' message was one of grace and salvation, and Jonah's message was one of judgment if the people uh, didn't repent. And by contrast, it's interesting that Jesus came to His people, to His people, for the most part, who refused to repent. Jonah came to a people who were not His, and they all repented. And Matthew 12, regarding this sign of Jonah, we just need to remember that uh, that Jesus is saying His resurrection will prove that He's the Messiah. So the sign of Jonah is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? So, back to Jonah chapter 4. Flip over there. And just kind of to recap, uh, the first three chapters, uh, if you haven't been here, um, this certainly won't catch you up in its entirety, but it'll kind of just lay the foundation for you. We know from chapter 1 that the word of the Lord came to, came to Jonah. And the Lord said, Arise and go to Nineveh. So that was the original command of the Lord for Jonah. And we know what Jonah said. No. You know, he said, I'm not going to go. So he heads to Joppa, catches a, a fast boat to Tarshish, or so he thought. And he goes down in the belly of the ship and he goes to sleep. And meanwhile, the Lord creates this storm. The Lord had prepared this storm, if you will, for this particular uh, situation. And the men are crying out. They're freaking out. You know, these are seasoned sailors, but still it's a lot for them to, to have to deal with. Um, they called out to their gods. Their gods didn't answer. Uh, so they knew there was one more guy on the ship. And they thought, well, maybe if he cries out to his god, we'll see what happens. They go down in the belly of the boat. He's fast asleep. How can you be sleeping? There's a storm up, up here. Uh, he comes up. Doesn't give us any indication that he helped them whatsoever at that time. They cast lots to see who it would fall on that was responsible for this. The lot fell on Jonah. Jonah says, yes, you're right. It fell on me. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. My God made the sea and the dry land. The sailors were comforted by that, of course. Great. You know, <laughs> thanks for sharing that with us. We're looking for that dry land, as a matter of fact. Uh, it says they were exceedingly afraid. And the men knew that Jonah had done this because Jonah told them, this is my fault. Uh, so they said, well, what shall we do to you then? And he said, well, throw me overboard. The seal uh, calm itself. And they didn't do it at first, but then they did. And the sea got calm. And then there was a, the fish that came and got Jonah. We know that whole story is in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then he prays. He's praying a prayer of repentance. Uh, God restores him. Whale uh, vomits him out. I almost said pukes him out, but I thought that's too gross. I shouldn't say that. Vomits him out on dry land. And I already said it. There you go. Um, and so then he carries on his task. Once again, God says, go into Nineveh. And this time he says, preach to them the message that I will tell you. So he didn't even know what the message was going to be. He goes on into Nineveh. And in 40 days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. That was his message. Remember those famous eight words that he shared with them. And so 
Then all the people of Nineveh, they repent. They cover themselves with sackcloth and ashes. Even the king gets in on the action, covers himself with sackcloth and ashes. And then he makes a proclamation that everybody's supposed to do this. Now it's law. Uh, Men, women, children, uh, animals. uh, We talked about that. All of them repent. And it says, the king says, hopefully if we do all this, then God will relent from this disaster that's going to come upon us. What happens? God relents. They repented. God relents. And so it brings us to chapter 4 with Jonah here. And we're going to find out that... uh, However interesting of a character we thought Jonah was, it gets even more interesting in chapter 4. This guy is, is, is something else, to say the least. And he's going to remind all of us of someone, which is uh, us. So, in this chapter, we're going to break it up into four parts. You'll see these four parts. Uh, I'm not going to dwell on them a whole lot, but you'll, you're going to see in verses 1 through 3 where God's listening to Jonah. And then in verses 4 and 5, God rebukes Jonah. In verses 6 through 8, God comforts Jonah. And then in the last two verse, three verses, 9 through 11, God is going to instruct Jonah. And then we'll see what happens with that. So let's get into our text. Verse 1, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Now think about that scene for a second. 120,000 people, as well as livestock, <laughs> repent. You know, they cover themselves with sackcloth and ashes, and Jonah's angry. It bothered him exceedingly. It displeased him that this happened. God's prophet, Jonah, that he sends to the people of Nineveh to tell them they're going to be destroyed unless they repent. So they repent, and Jonah's like, great, great. Can't believe you did that, God. So why did Jonah become angry when God spared Nineveh? Okay, look at this time. We see that the Jews, they didn't want to share God's message with Gentiles. Uh, The Jews knew that they were God's chosen people, and they thought that's just the way it needs to stay. We don't need to reach out beyond that. We also know that that's true even in Paul's day, right? Uh, Remember the whole scenario with Jesus and the woman at the well. Um, Jews didn't travel through Samaria. They just didn't go through there because they just didn't get along. They didn't like them. They didn't, they didn't want the, uh, like the idea of God's message going to uh, the Samaritans. So we see here that Israel has forgotten their original purpose as a nation. Remember back in Genesis 22, we talked about that, that they were to be a blessing to the rest of the world by sharing God's message with other nations. That's what God's call on them was for. So they aren't doing this. But Jonah thought that God should not just freely give away this salvation to this wicked heathen nation uh, known as Assyria and and Nineveh that that was in there, Assyria. But this is exactly what God does. He even does it today, right? To those that come to to faith in Him. We all come from a a wicked background. Uh, Looking around, uh, some of us more than others, I, I think. But we all come from a a seedy background which is rooted in sin because we, we don't have a relationship with the Lord. So there's a lot to be forgiven there. So we can kind of see the ridiculousness of Jonah's anger in this, I guess, but what about us? We have to ask ourselves the question, do we have certain people groups that we tend to avoid when it comes to sharing the gospel or just even conversing with? 
Do we have a judgmental attitude towards certain groups? Uh, do you ever think about where Assyria is? Modern day Iraq? That's interesting. Do we have a problem with Iraqians? Is that a word? <laughs> the Iraqi people? <laughs> uh, I would say in some cases, yes, we do. We shouldn't. This is a good lesson for us in that. So do we have preconceived notions about how people would respond or not respond based on what we share with them? Do we even care? Romans 9 uh, verses 14 through 18 says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. So I, I think I can hear, see the Lord saying here, hey, hey Jonah, I'm God and you're not. Okay? I mean, that's basically what he's saying to him, right? I'm God and you're not, and we're glad that Jonah wasn't. So, in chapter 1, Jonah, he's like the prodigal son. We talked about that. He's insisting on doing his own thing and going his own way. Now, in chapter 4, we're going to see he's like the prodigal son's older brother. He's critical, he's selfish, he's sullen, he's angry. It isn't enough for the Lord's servants to simply do His will. They must do the will of God from the heart. Key phrase for us, the heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. That's where Jonah's problem was. Let me repeat that. The heart of every problem is the problem in the heart. That's where Jonah's problem was. can be our problem at times as well. Verse 2, so he prayed to the Lord and said, now I'm going to take a little liberty with this. Because I, I kind of feel like this is what Jonah would be praying. You know, just to read the text is one thing, but let's try to get a feel for what Jonah's... He's angry, right? Ah, Lord! Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? That's why I fled to Tarshish, for I know that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. I mean, you can sense that in Jonah. He's angry, right? So Jonah prays to God. Now, it's a vast improvement to the Jonah we see in chapter 1. However, he still doesn't agree with God's actions here. Oh, Lord, I knew, I knew this was going to happen. I knew it was going to turn out this way. This is the very reason I ran to start with. I knew, I just knew this was what you were going to do. Do you feel that there? I, I, I do. And then, Jonah gives a description of what he got, knows God to be. In spite of all the things he's saying, in spite of the fact that he's angry... He says, yes, you're a God who shows grace. You're a God who's merciful. You're a God who's slow to anger, who's abundant in love, who relents from doing harm. <laughs> I mean, he's got it right on. He's, he's telling us the character of God, isn't he? In his anger. So Jonah, what's the problem here? God's responding just like you knew he would, based on his character, right? Well, also take notice of how different this prayer is from the one in chapter 2. Humility being the key. He pray, prayed his best prayer in the worst place. 
in the belly of the fish. And he prayed his worst prayer in the best place. Nineveh, where God was working. His first prayer came from a broken heart. His second prayer comes from an angry heart. In his first prayer, he asked God to save him. In his second prayer, we're going to see he asked God to take his life. (laughs) Jonah would rather die than than not to have his own way. Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I'm not getting my way, so just kill me. (laughs) So in these past two verses, we really get to the heart of why Jonah tried to run away in the first place. Jonah knew that if he announced judgments to the Ninevites and they repented, God would forgive them and not send his judgment. He would relent. So Jonah knew that he would run the risk of being labeled a a false prophet from this. Oh, great. I'm a prophet of God. Up to this point, I've got a pretty good track record. God's telling me to go do this. They're going to repent. God's going to relent. And now I'm a false prophet. Because I said in 40 days, Nineveh would be destroyed. I just, I don't know if that's really good logic on the part of Jonah, right? Is God going to consider Jonah a false prophet? No. Because what he's saying is true. If you don't repent, you're going to be destroyed, right? So they repented. They weren't destroyed. Jonah was concerned about his reputation. Not only before the Ninevites, but also, I think, the Jews back home. You know, he gets back home and, Jonah, hey, how'd the trip go? (gasps) Why'd you even bring it up? (laughs) He's just upset. Sometimes when reputation is more important than character, we try to please ourselves and others instead of pleasing God, don't we? It's been said that other people can ruin your reputation, but only you can ruin your character. And that's true, isn't it? It it is. Other people can talk about you, maybe ruin your reputation, but you're the only one that can ruin your character. So now we're going to see God rebukes Jonah. Verse 4. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? And I, I don't know that God has ever spoken to me in an audible voice. Um... Outside of, hey, <laughs> stop that, you know. I think that that's happened from time to time. But how would that sound, God? Jonah, you know, with a lot of reverb. <laughs> Is it right for you to be angry? Or God, just in His loving way, Jonah, uh, why are you angry? Do you think this is right for you to be angry? So verse 5, what's Jonah do? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. God says to Jonah, because I've done something good, is that just cause for you to be angry? Search your heart, Jonah. Dude, what's up? How about an attitude check? Seriously, Jonah, you are my prophet and I just used you to get a whole city to repent and turn to me (laughs) and you're upset about that? Well, you see, Jonah is doing something that we've all could recognize in ourselves and certainly in our kids. He's sulking. Jonah is sulking. Mom used to say to me when I was a kid, when I was sulking, if you don't stop, your face is going to stick like that. Did you ever, you know, that you know, lower lip sticking out? When dad, dad would tell me then, 
<laughs> if you stick that bottom lip out any further, I'm going to turn you upside down and use you for a snow shovel. <laughs> you know, Jonah is sulking. The, the definition of the word sulking, Webster defines it as a state of resentful silence or irritability. And another dictionary defines it, I like this one, being grumpy, aloof, silent, and unsociable. You know, just having a face that says, I'm upset, and I'm not over it yet. There's just a lot to get upset about, and go away, leave me alone. I just need some me time. How many, how many of us have said that? Just give me some space, I need some me time. Guys, have you ever said that to your wives? Wives, have you ever said that to your husbands? Bunch of liars. <laughs> you guys have. You're just not responding. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to call you liars. But <laughs> I thought a good t-shirt would be sulking. It's not just for kids anymore, you know, or something like that. You know, in a sulking, we might be able to get away with that with other people in certain circumstances, but Jonah should already know he's not going to get away with that with God, is he? He's just not. He's not going to get away with it. I think he would have already seen that. But then the text says, till he might see what would become of the city. Jonah, what has already become of the city? <laughs> they repented. God relented. What, what more do you want, Jonah? You, I think he was still holding out hope that it wouldn't take or something, you know? I'm not sure if this is really going to work out, this whole sackcloth and ashes thing and repentance going, you know, wild and everything. He maybe thought that God's plan wouldn't work, that he'd, he would be able to say then, see, I was right. They're not going to repent. They need to be uh, destroyed. But where should Jonah, should have, you know, where should have he have been? He should have been in the city doing follow-up ministry, shouldn't he? This huge revival in this city. And he could have been there teaching and discipling, encouraging and ministering. But instead, he was totally disengaged from the whole situation. He was, he was in a state of depression. Self-inflicted, but he was, he was depressed. You want a re uh, guaranteed recipe for depression? Distance yourself from other people. It's an easy way to get depressed. But also, I have a 10-step program for overcoming depression. You ready for this? Ten steps. Step one, do something good for someone else. Step two, repeat step one nine times. <laughs> There's your ten-step program right there. If we get our focus off of ourselves and onto others, we'll find that our situation just looks entirely different. Jonah went to a big party called Pity, and he was the only guest. All right? We can be the same way. We cry out to God for help. He releases us, and for a while, we're very happy. But when other pressures come, we begin to lapse into this self-justification, self-importance, self-pity. There was a story of a woman who was heartbroken when her dog disappeared. So she put an ad in the local paper offering a reward for its return. The next morning, the phone rang. It was the voice of another woman she said, I'm calling about your dog. Then she began to cough. She explained she wasn't feeling very well. In fact, she hadn't felt well for three years since her husband had died. 
She went on to say that after her mother and father had passed away, that recently her sister had contracted cancer and was undergoing painful treatments. Her friends weren't doing well either. She gave the details of their various illnesses and went on to describe the funerals of several of them. And after about 30 minutes of this, the woman who had lost the dog tried to get the caller back on subject, and she asked, Yeah, but what about my dog? The other woman replied, Oh, I don't have him, but I thought you might be feeling badly about losing him, so I thought I'd just call and cheer you up. (laughs) You see, our, our situation is probably not as bad as what someone else is going through. If we become so focused on ourselves and our issues, we're of no use to anybody else, are we? Jonah trucked it out to the edge of town, set up on a hill underneath a shelter, just looking at the city, sulking having a pity party. Remember when he was on the boat with the sailors? He's so self-focused, he didn't help. He, he, he was asleep. He slept. Verse 6. Now we're going to see God comforting Jonah. And the Lord prepared a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> this guy, I tell you what, uh, I, you know, I thought today this could be a great little, you know, short movie. You know, I guess it is. The VeggieTales version is, is pretty entertaining. Uh, that's come up several times over the past two weeks. Why didn't you just show the VeggieTales movie? You know, I don't know. I thought it might be over your head. I, I don't know. So God says, there's Jonah pouting and mad because I saved the city of Nineveh. I'll just bless him. Now, isn't that just like the Lord? It is, isn't it? The blessings we have are not because we deserve them. We know that. They're because God is merciful, kind, and gracious. Ever notice the irony of the many times when we haven't been praying or studying or just spending time with the Lord like we should, that blessing still comes our way? That's what we call grace. When we least deserve it, He blesses us. Now, when Jonah was delivered from the big fish, Scripture doesn't record that it made him happy. We don't, we don't have those, those words. That text wasn't there. And when the whole city of Nineveh was saved, Scripture didn't record that it made him happy either. In fact, just the opposite. It made him mad. It made him angry. He was only happy in this whole story when his personal comfort was met in the shade of this plant. That's when it says he was grateful. He was, he was happy. For the first time in the book, the text indicates that Jonah was happy. In these and other verses, just just look at what God prepared. In chapter 1, verse 4, God prepared a wind or a storm. In chapter 1, verse 17, God prepared a fish. In chapter 4 here, verse 6, God prepared a plant. In verse 7, He prepared a worm. In verse 8, He prepared a wind. Why? All for Jonah, right? Do you think that God isn't involved in the everyday circumstances of your life? I mean, look at this. This is all happening within three verses he did this. Just a 
late in the day, a night in the next morning. All this is going on with, with these three verses. I mean, just look at that. Would you just look at that? Just look at the things God prepared to work in Jonah's life. All these things that he prepared. That's what the text says. He prepared a fish. You know, he prepared these storms. He, he prepared a people, even, the Ninevites, for Jonah's message. God orchestrates the little details in our lives every day if we just take the time to watch and, and listen. What appears that Jonah, at least for a time, was no longer depressed. He was grateful. He was happy. And he was finally out of this spiritual funk he was in, or so it looks. Then this worm came, and the plant was gone. The east wind came, and the scripture doesn't indicate it, but it says that Jonah had built this shelter for shade. I'm thinking the wind blew the shelter away too. That's just my thoughts on it. And then the sun's beating down on Jonah's head. Jonah grew faint. So who prepared the storm, the fish, the plant, the worm, the wind, and the sun? God. God did all the giving and all the taking. Job said it in this way in Job 1.21. It is the Lord who gives and it is the Lord who takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the attitude that Jonah should have, right? Well, all this is going on, but blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know why he's not like that. We're like that, aren't we? All the time. Whatever comes up, whatever's going on, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, we don't whine and complain just where we are, right? It's as if the Lord was saying, yesterday, Jonah, I comforted you. Today, I'm developing you. And it's the same with us. One day, He's blessing and comforting us. The next day, He's developing us, sanctifying us, doing His work in us. It's all a part of His process because He's more concerned about our character than He is our comfort. It's all a part of the maturing that God is doing in each and every one of us. Verse 9, Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, I'm going to take some liberties it is right for me to be angry, even to death. <laughs> Jonah's talking smack to God. I, I mean, I can't imagine a scenario where I would be like that. Where out and out, it is right for me to be angry. <laughs> uh, it's just hard to imagine. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? A few years ago, there was a a skit that aired uh, fairly regular on uh, Saturday Night Live. And most of you are probably familiar with that show. It was about a couple that were called the whiners. Do you, do you guys remember the whiners? Some of you younger folks might not, but everybody I see smiling remembers, which gives us an indication of their age, right, young folks? Uh, yeah. Uh, so it was this husband and wife, and they whined about everything. In one episode, they go into this restaurant, the waiter gives them a menu, and then asks them what they want to order. Is that all you have? We can't eat any of this. It's too hot in here. It's too cold in here. These chairs aren't comfortable. You might even hear that in some churches, actually. 
whining, whining, whining. It's one of those words that sounds like it's meaning, right? Whining, I'm whining. You know that old saying that we probably used before, hey, can I get some cheese with that wine? Everybody's probably used that. I think Jonah's whining here. You know, he's just, he's angry, but I think like most of us would be, he's not going to just be out and out mad, lashing out at God. He's whining. It's right for me to be angry, even to death. You know? Whiner. Oh. But even in the midst of Jonah's whining, God, who's ever patient, begins to instruct him. Jonah's anger fed his ego and produced the poison of selfishness and self-pity in his heart. He still had a problem with the will of God. In chapter 1, his mind understood God's will, but he refused to obey it. In chapter 2, he cried out for help. God rescued him, and he gave himself back to the Lord. He, he came back underneath the will of God to go to Nineveh. In chapter 3, he yielded to God's will and went to Nineveh to preach, just like God told him to. But as we can see, as we've been looking tonight, his heart wasn't yet surrendered to the Lord. Jonah did the will of God, but not from his heart, just out of God's command, his obligation. Jonah had another lesson to learn, perhaps the most important. Chapter 1, he learned the lesson of God's providence and patience. You can't run from God. Chapter 2, he learned the lesson of God's pardon. God forgives those who call upon Him. Should have remembered that. In chapter 3, he learned the lesson of God's power as a whole city humbled themselves before the Lord. Now he had to learn the lesson of God's pity or God's compassion for the lost, like Nineveh. And that God's servants, we, must also have compassion. It's just incredible when you think about it that Jonah brought a whole city to faith in the Lord, yet he didn't love the people. Jonah had pity for the vine that had perished, but yet he didn't have compassion for the people of Nineveh. You're grieving the loss of a plant, Jonah, but there are 120,000 people in Nineveh that cannot discern between their right hand and their left. Jonah, where is your mercy? Where is your compassion? Where's, where's your heart? Now, it's interesting that Jonah and Nahum are the only books in the Bible that end with questions. And both of them have to do with the city of Nineveh. Nahum ends with a question about God's punishment of Nineveh. Jonah ends with a question about God's pity or compassion for Nineveh. And it does seem strange to end this book this way. It's, it's, it's ending basically with an unanswered question. It's just kind of hanging out there. And I know like you guys, you're probably that, and much livestock. <laughs> what does that mean? I have no idea, okay? So let's move off of that. But that's, that's the way God works. We see in Jonah that in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God has the first word, doesn't He? Then we see in Jonah chapter 4, verse 11 that we just read, God has the last word. God gets the first and the last word. And that's the way it should be in our lives, in every situation. First and last word from God. So what happened with Jonah? I had somebody ask me that before the service. So what do you think happened to Jonah? Where did he go after this? Did God still use him as a prophet? Was his heart ever softened regarding the Ninevites? They're good questions, to which we don't have any answers to. <laughs> it's just left hanging there at the end of this story. 
But we can trust this. We can trust that God did in Jonah what needed to be done because of his love for Jonah. Just like God will do with us as well because of his love for us. Uh, somebody pointed this out to me today on, uh, on Facebook, and I just wanted to read it to you. Uh, it was written this week. Uh, Pastor Ed Taylor put it on his Facebook page. Pastor Chuck Smith wrote this this week. Um, a great Bible truth about God's character. He is love. Uh, and he used 1 John 4, verses 8 and 16 for that. He says, God's love never fails. God has never stopped loving you. He does not love you when you are good and hate you when you're bad. God's love for you remains constant and unchanging. It cannot fail. God continually pours out His love upon your life, for His love for you does not depend upon what you are, but upon who He is. Great, great little thing Pastor Chuck shared with everybody. So God ends this book with a question for Jonah and a question for us. Where is my heart? Where is, where is your heart? Do you remember that I entitled each of these teachings in the book of Jonah? Chapter 1, Rebellion. Chapter 2, Repentance. Chapter 3, Revival. And chapter 4, Remorse. Remorse. What, what does chapter 4 have to do with remorse, you might ask? Well, Webster's defines remorse as a gnawing distress arising from a sense of guilt for past wrongs. I think Jonah was feeling remorse because God did use him and Nineveh responded, but just not in the way that Jonah wanted. Jonah wanted judgment on Nineveh, but God showed them grace. Jonah was remorseful because it didn't turn out his way. That's why he was sulking. I'm mad, I'm angry, and I'm upset. I'm throwing a pity party. Uh, I'm whining. I'm doing all these things because I have perceived that this was going to turn out a certain way, and it didn't. God showed them mercy and grace and compassion. So God ends the book with a question for Jonah and a question for us. Where is your heart? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord. We thank you as we finished up this book of Jonah. And Lord, in so many ways, we can relate to this man. <laughs> Lord, we see the things that he, he did. We see the things that he said. We see his actions. Uh, Lord, we see the way that, uh, in so many ways, disrespected you out of disobedience. And, and Lord, the way that he talks back to you, as we see in chapter 4. And, and just being angry. It's not a righteous anger. And so, Lord, we can relate to Jonah. We are like Jonah in so many ways. But, Lord, what we can take away from this tonight especially is that we know that you love us. And, Lord, because of that love extended towards us, you continue to invest in us, Lord. You continue to grow us and mold us. Yes, you continue to correct and rebuke us as well when we need it. Lord, we thank you for that because we know that for every correction that's made, every rebuke that's done, for the love that you show us, the mercy and compassion and all of these things, Lord, you're constantly drawing us closer to you. You're sanctifying us, Lord. You're making us more and more usable for your purposes. 
Lord, we want to be willing servants. We want to be obedient servants. But Lord, give us a heart to love people. To love those that are, in our eyes, unlovable. People we just don't want to reach out to, that we don't want to love, Lord. Give us a heart for them, Lord. Give us a heart that would cause us, Lord, to desire, to want to share this good news of life. We have the best good news that was ever created, that Jesus Christ died for the sins of all people. And that if we would but turn and respond to Him, and Lord, just respond to that invitation that You've given us to accept You as the sin offering for our sin. We fall short on our own. We can't be in fellowship with You, Father, without the sacrifice that was made by Jesus on the cross. And He was resurrected. And He lives again, sitting at Your right hand, interceding for us. And as we come to You, Lord, and accept that sacrifice that was made for our sin, You give us Your Holy Spirit to guide and direct and to teach and to counsel. Lord, we're without excuse. We were without excuse by Your initial offering of of Jesus Christ dying for us. And now that we know you and have a relationship with you, Lord, we're without excuse because we have your Holy Spirit living in each and every one of us to guide us and direct us if we would just turn to you, Lord, and just rely upon you. Lord, when we came to you, you relented from our destruction, Lord. You reached out in love and grabbed us out of our pit and drew us to yourself. And in that, all you're asking is that we would just return that love to you and be available for you, Lord, to use. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for being the stiff-necked people that we are sometimes, the ridiculous people that we are sometimes. And Lord, we know that you know that. And you still love us anyway. So Lord, we know that it's time for us just to rest in that love, to recognize that we are in Christ because of what He did for us. So Lord, help us, strengthen us, encourage us. Help us to be bold witnesses for you because of the love that you have for us. And let us go out from this place tonight sharing that love with others. We can rejoice. It is good news. It is a good message that we can share with others. So Father, instill in us a joy, a grateful heart, a loving heart that we might impart to others around us. Lord, thank you. We thank you for this study, Lord. We pray all these things.